crowd of the news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. You've probably seen it in a nature documentary, unless you've been lucky enough to witness it yourself. It is a majestic sight, millions of salmon returning to British Columbia rivers, swimming upstream to spawn after completing years-long journeys on the open ocean. But every year, these days at least, fewer salmon return. There are many reasons for this decline. It is an incredibly complex ecosystem, and of course, some of those reasons stem from climate change. And in BC right now, there are strict regulations on fishers to try to keep the salmon population healthy. But you will notice that I said, in BC, there are regulations, because those regulations don't apply in Alaska, and of course, fish don't respect borders. And you can probably guess what happens next in this story. But what remains to be seen is what comes of the salmon conflict. If Alaskan fishers are going to scoop salmon headed for BC, what does Canada do? Do we scoop salmon headed for Washington state in retaliation? Do we need diplomatic intervention from our governments? Or can we maybe all get along because both sides surely are mature enough to realize that it doesn't matter who takes the salmon if the salmon are all gone, we all lose. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Stefan Labbe is a journalist covering climate and environment solutions for Glacier Media. Hey, Stefan. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. I found this story pretty fascinating and maybe just to lay the groundwork for us before we get into uh, what's happening here. Can you describe the journey that BC salmon make in a normal year? You know, where do they go? Yeah, so, you know, BC is a pretty rugged province. We're just laced with all sorts of rivers running up and down uh, the coast and pouring out into the Pacific. So every year um, there there's a handful of salmon species that make this grueling journey. They start high in the reaches of these rivers and streams and in many places, they go down these rivers evading sport fishers, toxic water, landslides, the impacts of logging on the sides of the rivers, city building. Right. And when they finally get to the Pacific Ocean, they do this kind of incredible loop. They'll cut deep out into the Pacific Ocean, kind of loop up to the Aleutian chain in Alaska, and then come back down, eventually making landfall either on the Alaskan coast or the BC coast. But this journey, you know, it's a little bit different for every species of salmon, but say for sockeye, which is one of the most valuable for food and they're most valuable in the store as well. It takes four years to make this round trip journey. And it's not a guarantee something like one out of every two to 4,000 fish make it. Wow. Do we know 
how many fish there are kind of making these journeys. Uh, and I know, you know, there's a million different species and variations, but I'm just trying to get a sense of, you know, how the salmon stock is doing in BC. Sure. So, I mean, you're right. There are, it's a, it's a lot of numbers here. So maybe we just take, take sake. We'll stick with that for a minute. So on the Fraser river, which is the most important salmon bearing river in the country, if you go back to 1980 and you take the average between 1980 and 2014, there was something like just under 10 million sake returns every year. Some years that would go up to some like just under 30 million in a year. Okay. Wow. In 2020, the return of the sockeye salmon plummeted to an all time low of something like 293,000 fish. Wow. So we're talking a 95 fold decline just in the last several decades. That doesn't even speak to the you know stories that I think a lot of Canadians are familiar with where you could almost just reach into the water and pull out fish you know mm-hmm. so we're talking about a, a massive decline so big that we can't even sometimes picture it you know unless you lived through these decades and seen it it's hard to understand what we've really lost before we talk about what we're doing about this because that'll lead us into uh, the critical part of the story mm-hmm. just in general, what happens to the ecosystem when stocks like that drop by 95%? In these kind of glacier-fed rivers, and this goes for the Skeena and Nass rivers, these the second and third most important rivers in British Columbia in the north, they, they kind of snake through the Great Bear Rainforest. They, they require salmon for this kind of building block of life. As salmon, when they return and, you know, they, they feed bears... But those bears, you know, they feast on these salmon and they discard maybe parts of their carcasses on the forest floor, providing this kind of foundation, this building block for life. And 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 then those nutrients, they fill the rivers too, and they create this whole kind of chain of life that propagates outward and upward. And and without them, you don't have this this really vital source of of nutrients. At sea. You know, if we look at a species like Chinook, um, this is the most important food source and these food source for the southern resident killer whales. And this is a a group of killer whales, you know, that have declined in recent years. There used to be over 100. Now there's something like just over 70. And they require these Chinook salmon. And, and without them, you know, they think they could starve, you know. And so... You know, these salmon, they provide a a source of food and a source of life for everything along the coast, all the way up these rivers. It's it's really hard to overstate how important they are. So what have we been doing about it, either as the Canadian government, as uh, the British Columbian government, uh, or just fisheries themselves to help uh, preserve these stocks? Are there restrictions on fishing now? In June uh, last year, uh, the Canadian government closed something like 60% of the salmon fishing on the BC coast. I hear from sources that effectively this cuts off even more of the fishing than, than that. But at the same time, when they announced that, they said they would put something like $647 million towards rebuilding salmon stocks on the west coast of Canada. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but I've talked to fishermen that have put forward recommendations that we need, you know, nearly $50 million a year for decades on end just to bring this back. So, <sighs> and, and these are recommendations that have been, you know, they stretch back decades. They, they were talking about this in the 90s and they've been working on this for a long time. So, 
So it sounds like a lot of money, and, and I hear from environmental groups that it is a great start, but we're just getting off the ground here, and we're digging ourselves out of a very deep hole. To get back out of that, sources tell me that we need to start by limiting and changing the way we do logging in this province. Um, when trees are taken off the side of a river, the soil just loosens up and it can pour into the river, and that creates this kind of turbid environment that is really bad for fish, either, you know, the, as they hatch or as they go back up, you know, it, it kills them uh, or it prevents them from spawning the next generation. <laughs> Another thing is uh, a lot of people are talking about, there's two sides to this conversation, but bringing salmon farms off the, the ocean and inland uh, so they don't compete in, and cause disease in wild salmon populations. So there's two sides to this. The industry's got a very different take on that, but there's a lot of research out there that says that there's a huge impact. But we've got climate change too, and, and there's a lot of pressures that are out of our hands, essentially. So there's a lot of different things here, and, and $647 million, it's a big pot of money, but this money's still coming down the pipe, and, and, and it's going to take years to bounce back. The news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. So there's a whole lot of stuff uh, that we're doing, or at least trying to do, and, and we could probably go back and forth on whether it's enough and who thinks it's too little and, and who thinks we need to take a different direction. But in the middle of all this, why are BC fishers angry? What's happening up uh, on the Alaskan coast? So in southeast Alaska, you've got a border, but fish don't respect borders. Um, they swim back and forth between them. I mentioned this big loop that salmon do over the course of their lives. When they come back to the coast, they'll hit landfall either in BC or Alaska. And in years where the water is particularly warm in the Pacific, they'll avoid that. They don't like the warm water. So they'll go and they'll and they'll smash into the Alaskan coast more likely than the BC coast. So some years you have more fish coming down from Alaska into BC. This last year, we uh, have learned from a technical report that came out last week that they caught 800,000 sockeye salmon in this small fishing district, uh, or a handful of districts, but primarily one, District 104. And of these 800,000 fish, this report estimates between 50 and 75% of them were headed to the Skeena River, and that number drops slightly for the Nass River. So we're talking about over a half million fish that American Alaskan fishers intercepted on their way home to their BC rivers at a time when the Canadian government effectively shut down the fisheries in British Columbia. So a lot of fishers are angry. They're frustrated. Why are we taking this on the chin when just across the border, we can take our boats up there and we can hear them chattering on the radio, talking back and forth. 
they're angry, but they're not angry at those fishers. Those are people that, I mean, the ones I've talked to, those are people that do the same kind of work they do. They're angry that these regulations and the international treaties that govern who gets what are just not working for everyone and especially not working for them. Do those treaties actively um, prohibit or regulate this sort of thing? Like, is there anything in there saying, like, don't take salmon that are headed back to BC? Or is this all above board and it's just a matter of uh, two governments with different approaches to conservation? So the treaties, they stretch back to the 80s, the mid-80s. They've been renewed since the 90s on a 10-year rolling basis. So every 10 years, it gets renegotiated. It's not up again for a renegotiation until 2028. Hmm. So basically, these treaties, what they try to do is they try to, I mean, the kind of elevator pitch they give is is they are supposed to govern this agreement so everyone gets a little bit, right? So we we can share this resource between the two countries in a way that's fair and that also doesn't wipe out the resource, the species, the animal. Right. But when I talk to fishers and, you know, I've been talking to them quite a bit over the last week, the treaty has not worked in their favor. There's been some success on the Washington, B.C. border, where there's been a lot of agreements so people can get a little bit on both sides of the border. But if you go up to Alaska, I hear the word loophole a lot. And and this is where we go back to this District 104 and a couple of other districts around it. These fish have been getting intercepted over decades. And the Canadian government has just not been willing to put that diplomatic pressure on the American government to get what these fishers are are missing out on. That's what they say. Um, the press secretary for TFO told me last week that they're looking at this most recent report and, and they're actively working on it. Fishers say, oh, well, that's just them kicking the can down the road again. Mm-hmm. They're willing to sacrifice fish in this um, multi-decadal effort at diplomacy. Do Canadian fishers have any options in this situation? And, you know, this is kind of an awkward question, but like if if fishers in Alaska are taking our fish that stray too far north, can we take Washington State's fish that stray too far north? Do you know what I'm saying? I do. So it's important to recognize that Canada is not innocent in this. Hmm. <laughs> you know, some fishers are a bit uh, reluctant to say this because it undermines the idea that we're the little guy and we're getting walked all over. Alaskans have a pretty robust system for maintaining their fishery and checks and balances that ensure that laws are followed. Everyone I've talked to says that, these policy experts in fishing. But on the BC side, we can't forget that when it comes to our recreational fishery, as one consultant put it, it's designed to catch American fish. So Hmm. Greg Taylor, who he's been in the industry for 40, 50 years and now kind of works with First Nations. He works with non-First Nations fisheries and and helps them understand what's going on in in the industry and and the environment. He told me that of the 436,000 Chinook uh, salmon that were caught last year, just under half of them were intercepted by BC's recreational fishery. So we're already doing that. Okay. Just not in a way that's really tit for tat. We're not looking at what they're taking and, you know, pushing back by taking this. At the same time, you know, when we if we want to narrow the argument to a commercial fishery, you know, another fisherman told me, you know, look, we could be really punishing 
the Americans by taking these fish that migrate down to to Oregon, to Washington, to California by, you know, taking them off our coast. And and we don't do that. And so so it really depends how you really want to bring this argument forward. But it's it is important to know that BC is not innocent in this. That's really good to know. And, you know, I think the last thing I want to ask you about is the diplomacy involved in the level of of governmental cooperation. You mentioned it's going to be years before uh, those treaties are up for discussion again. But I guess in the big picture, in a world in which uh, the environments and ecosystems can change so rapidly, how do you have like one intertwined ecosystem governed by two different sets of regulations? And without trying to lead the witness, I guess that sounds like a recipe for disaster. It is hard. But last year we saw, as I mentioned, a lot of fish come from the Alaskan side of the border down into BC. And and because of that warm plume of water with climate change, we're going to be seeing that a lot more in the coming years. And that means that more fish are going to be making landfall in Alaska and are going to be running through the same places where they put their nets in the water today and creating an effective barrier for the fish that need to make it back to BC rivers to create that next generation. So no matter how much money we put into, you know, the restoration of BC fisheries, that's going to be at some point a kind of bottleneck, um, I hear. And so we need, we need to find a way to work with the Americans. We obviously have different regulatory systems and we have worked with the Americans uh, over the years. While the Canadian government has pledged, you know, over a half, billion dollars uh, to bring back fish in BC, for that money to make any impact, it's going to take decades and decades. So how do you how do you align those things with the Americans? It's hard to say, but a lot of people don't even see that as the solution sometimes. I mean, I some people I've talked to, they say well, the only thing that's going to get the Americans to stop fishing in these waters, taking BC fish, is consumer pressure. Getting the story out there that, you know, these fish are taken and, and they're not making it back to the, the rivers they need to to bring the next generation uh, of fish to life. And so like a don't buy Alaskan salmon campaign. Yeah. Is it a don't buy Alaskan salmon campaign? Others say, you know, do we need to have mechanisms so fishers only fish at the rivers where these salmon come back to? Should you only be tied to the river where? you have a stake in keeping it alive, you know? So that, that, there's a lot of solutions out there and, and a lot of people are saying, no, look more local, try to to bring awareness to this. But we're, we're, there's really just kind of a deadlock right now. There's not a lot either side can do. The Americans have an effective veto on what they do in their own waters and so does Canada. What about the individual fishers at the heart of this? These are people who have devoted their lives to this job and supported themselves and their family on it. Um, what's happening to them right now? There used to be, you know, over 10,000 people employed in this industry. And, you know, I talked to a guy named John Stevens. He He's a fourth generation fisher going back to over 100 years ago. His family was fishing and he's been in the industry for 55 years. And uh, he used to fish months on end and bring in money to support himself. And the last year he got something like three or four days in the water and made $13,000. Wow. He's, he's 71 years old and, 
and he doesn't know how much longer he has. And he's got friends and and uh, you know fellow fishers that have turned it in. They've gotten rid of their hunt their their fishing licenses, and they've decided to to move on. They've given up. They've sold them, and unfortunately, selling them now means taking a big hit because they've lost all their value just due to the decline in fish. So there's a lot of people here on the First Nations side. The Chilcotin Nation came out swinging right after this report. They said, you know, we demand a seat at the international table. We demand to be heard. We've been closing our stock, our fishing, and to try to save our stocks. And, and all of a sudden, we find out that the Americans are taking these fish before they can make it back to our our territory. And so they're demanding a seat at the table. They're not precluding legal action. There's a lot of people hurting and a half million fish might sound like a small number. They say it's the sockeye were $6 million, but there's a lot of First Nation communities that depend on these fish to, to eat and to take them away is is a big hit to the these people. Hope some diplomacy ramps up sooner than later. Thanks, Stefan, for this. Yeah, no problem. Stefan Labe of Glacier Media. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can find it at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can find our email box, in which we welcome any kind of feedback you have, at thebigstorypodcast, all one word, at rci.rogers.com. We also welcome truly ratings and reviews as long as they're five stars and say nice things, which you can do in any podcast platform that allows it, even more than ratings and reviews. We love it when you tell your friends and take their phone and open whatever app they use and just subscribe them. Then they'll just start getting episodes and they'll listen and hopefully they'll love it and we'll love you for doing it. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. The news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency.